0: Today we, as we celebrate the fourth Sunday at Lent. We also have our confirmation students here uh, do what we call the right of enrollment, which is where they really claim what they're going to do when they get confirmed, right? Have them sign their names. It used to be where you'd sign in blood, right? To form a pact. We're not going to make you do that. You can use ink. But we're going to make you sign a book to show that you're serious about this, that this is something that is revolutionary for your life. It's a good class, I want everybody to know that. They're a really good class. The first class ever I've had that, as I was teaching them, they asked me if we could actually meet before confirmation and I could teach them how to pray. And so we meet 24, or 20 minutes before confirmation class and we have learned the rosary, we've learned imaginative prayer, Lectio Divina, all types of stuff. So they do care, they care a lot. And so I ask you to continue to pray for them uh, as they continue to prepare. I love this story. The thing is, probably, I know I say this a lot, but I I really mean it today. I think this is my favorite story in the New Testament. Last week, I don't know if you know this, but last week, uh, I wasn't here. And I read, I preached on the year A readings. I don't know how many of you know this, but the, the church functions on cycles, right? A, B, and C. Right now we're in year C, okay? next year we'll be in year A, and then B, and then C, and it just keeps rotating. During the week, there's a two cycle, and it's one and two. And if you're wondering which cycle we're on, if it's an odd year, we're on cycle one. If it's an even year, we're on cycle two. But every single Lenten season, the church gives the option, you can read the year A readings for all of Lent. Because they're like the biggest readings. Last week was the woman at the well. Remember the woman in Samaria? And John gives an entire chapter... To this weird encounter between Jesus and this seemingly insignificant woman. If John gave a chapter of his gospel to that weird encounter. There's probably something really crazy going on there that we should pay attention to. Just so this weekend. John gives it another entire chapter. The woman at the well is the longest sustained dialogue with Jesus and one person in the New Testament. I'm not sure about this, but I'm pretty sure... The one we heard today, you probably realize this because you were standing so long for the gospel, is the longest dialogue between a character and other characters in the New Testament. And it's interesting, too, because there's some humor in it as well. You know, the blind man, he comes back and he can see and everybody's like, it's not him. And other people are like, yeah, it is. And other people are like, no, it just looks like him. And he's staying there. He's like, it's, It's me. I know who I am. It's me. Hello. Like nobody's even asking him. Because nobody even noticed him. Nobody cared about him. Why? Because he was seemingly insignificant. They judged him on his appearance. They saw him begging every day. And they said, what good is this man? They just walked past him. That's why people don't even recognize him. Here's the deal, folks. I think... All, what's on display on the, on the readings for this weekend is this. It's all about being able to see right. Are you able to see? Because there's a principle in Christianity that I, I think is so powerful and so many people miss it, and it's this. For those who believe, things are never as they appear. For those who believe, things are never as they appear. Or better yet, for believers, there's always more than meets the eye. Did you get that? You know the you don't know, come on. Story about a blind guy. More than meets the eye. You guys are lame, whatever. But we lack faith. So we don't see right. When you don't have the eyes of faith, you don't see the world correctly. And things are as they appear. The principle on display is all over the readings, and especially in the first reading. In the first reading, Samuel goes to Jesse, right? And he's about to anoint the new king of Israel because God said, go to Jesse. It's one of Jesse's sons. Samuel's sitting there, and the first guy comes forward. And Samuel's like, oh yeah, this guy's the king. I don't know why. He must have just been like really... I don't know what kings look like, regal and strong and good looking, I don't know. But he's like, look at that guy. That's got to be the king. And God's like, no, that's not him. Sammy's I mean, like, well, okay. Then bring the next guy. Well, surely. No. Next guy. Yeah? No. Next guy. Ah, no. They get through, everybody's like, is this it? And Jesse's like, well, I mean, the youngest is out in the field, but he's just a boy. So I was like, get him in here. So David shows up, and it says that David is, he's a youth. It's a really weird description. Youth, ruddy, ruddy. I, what does that word even mean? Handsome to behold. So he was obviously a good-looking guy, but he was ruddy. Ruddy, I looked it up. And in the Hebrew, the translation of ruddy also could possibly mean redhead. Now, think about this, you guys. For ancient Israel, dark complected, dark hair, dark eyes. David comes forward. I mean, no offense to gingers, but he comes forward. Imagine what this guy would have looked like if he was a redhead. Fiery red hair. And Samuel's got to be like, oh, no way. No, God, no, 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 no. They look at Jesse and be like, Jesse, what happened, man? And surely God says, yes. That's him, anoint him. Now, here's the cool part about this, you guys David is a hero in the Old Testament, right? Everybody's like King David, he's the man. When God looked into David's heart, because remember, when Samuel makes the first judgment, God says, it's not him. You're you're looking at him like, not like I do, you're looking at appearance, I look at the heart. So he looks at David's heart, and you you know what he sees in David's heart? The, the, The potential to be an adulterer. The potential to be a murderer. The potential to be a bad dad. The potential to be a bad king. All of which David was. And God looks at that and still chooses David. That should give you and me immense hope. Because God isn't deterred by weakness. God loves weakness. We hate it. We run from it. But you know why God loves weakness? As St. Therese said, the weaker you are, the more you need him. The weaker you are, the more you need him. And that's what God saw in David's heart. He saw a weak man, but he saw a man that loved him. And he loved him in spite of his weakness. This, is, this, is, this should give us immense hope. And so what are you going to do? That's the question today, right? Will you accept your weaknesses? See them as a place of divine encounter, or do you run from them? Do you cover them up? Do you show the world just the surface? Never let people see the heart, because this is what I think is so demonic about our world. Nobody looks at the heart. Everybody judges on appearance. It's amazing to me sometimes how my homilies come together. And I don't say that because like, I'm really good at it. I say that because I was working through this and somebody sent me an email with a link to this video. And when I watch this video, I'm like, you could not ask for a better connection to everything I'm talking about. Do any of you know who Nick Voyacek is? Good. He was born in 1982 to Boris and Dushka Voyacek. His parents were so excited about their first child, and his dad was in the delivery room, and when the child emerged from the womb, the first thing the dad saw was that the child had no arm. And he was so distraught about his boy not having an arm, he left the delivery room. And as he was just trying to get his thoughts together, the doctor came out and said, Mr. Voyacek, I need to talk to you about your son. And he said, no, I know, Doc, I know, he doesn't have an arm. And he said, no, uh, Mr. Voyacek, he doesn't have any arms. And he, doesn't, he also doesn't have any legs. Nick Voyacek was born with a very rare disease in which he had no arms and no legs. Because people judged by appearance alone, he was relentlessly bullied and made fun of. At the age of 10, he asked his dad if he could take a bath to relax. But he knew in his heart what he wanted to do was drown himself in six inches of water. He said, I had had enough of people and of this world. And he said three times. The first time, he rolled over. He counted to see how long he could hold his breath. The second time, he went one second longer. And the third time, as he was about to inhale water to kill himself, he said he had an image of his parents standing at the graveside of their son. And he said, there is a pain that parents experience with a disabled child. But there is no pain that a parent experiences greater than losing a child. And he said, I just couldn't do it. At 15 years old, he said, I turned to God in a moment of desperation. And I said, God, you owe me an explanation. Why did you make me like this? Why do I have to be like this for my whole life? Answer me. And he said his prayer was answered when he read today's gospel. John chapter 9. He said, I read this. And people asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents that this man was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. This man was born this way so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And he said, for the first time in my life, I had hope. And so guess what he did? He allowed the works of God to be revealed through him. Nick Boyacek has spoken in over 44 countries. He's given over 2,000 talks. He has touched the lives of over 5 million people. He is happily married with four kids. Two of them are twins. And he currently holds the world record for most hugs given in one hour. (laughs) And he has a great sense of humor. Because they asked him, how would you get that record? And he said, well, it was a lot of work. And when the hour was over, my arms fell off. (laughs) But imagine his life. No legs, no arms. Kind of puts our problems in check, huh? Having to live like that. But for Nick Voyacek, when he met Jesus, he realized that things weren't as they seemed. Everyone just looked at him and either made fun of him or pitied him, just because of how he appeared on the outside. But God looked into his heart and brought hope to millions because things are not as they appear. God doesn't look at outward appearance. God doesn't look at all of your gifts and your talents. It cost him nothing to give you those. God looks at your heart because that's what really matters. Maybe you and I should start doing the same.